So um, actually, before I start, we're going to watch a short clip. Um, and um, it's a clip of John Wimber. If you don't know who John Wimber was, he was the guy who, um, the, the vineyard movement of, which, of churches of which we're part, he was the guy who really, from the infancy of the movement, led it in the 80s and the 90s, and he sort of really forged a lot of the language that we use and the DNA. Um, and this little clip, it's very 80s, it's very VHS, but it's brilliant, so take a look. <laughs> As I read the New Testament, I fell in love with Jesus. Didn't you? I liked him. I liked what he was like. I liked the things he did. I liked the things he said. Didn't you like those things? I thought that stuff was hot. I liked it when he multiplied the bread. Did you like that one? Huh? How about it? Did you like that? And the fishes, you know, the sardines. I always picture sardines. I like that stuff. I like all that stuff, you know? I liked it when he went by the fig tree and said, hmm. You know? <laughs> and it died. Can you picture him doing that? I like all that stuff. I like it. I remember last night, come forth. That's a biggie, you know? I mean, that's hot. There are not many guys doing that come forth thing, you know, telling anybody to come up from the dead. I like all that stuff. And when I became a Christian, I thought that's what I was going to do. I spent several weeks reading the New Testament and talking with these people, and I thought, this is great. You know, I'm going to join up. I want to do this stuff. And so I remember the frustration of attending church the first few times. You know what I thought they did at church? Now, this is how stupid I was. I thought you, that people gathered at the church, had a good time together, sort of divvied up the land, and then everybody went out and healed a few and cast out a few demons and won a few people to Christ before lunch. And so the first few times I went to church, I went prepared with the idea that we're going to, you know, ha, I'm going to take Anaheim. I want to go to Anaheim, you know, the deepest, darkest pagan Anaheim over there by Disneyland. That's where I want to go because that's where I was raised. And when they didn't do it, I was disappointed. And I remember one day asking a guy about it. I said, well, when do we go out and do it? He said, what? I said, when do we go out and do it? He says, oh, you don't have to do it. You just have to believe it was done once. Now, that's pathetic, <laughs> isn't it? I found out over the next year or two that we cried about it, we sang about it, we preached about it, we prayed over it, we gave to it, but we never did it. <laughs> we never got to go do the things that Jesus did. And I grew disillusioned in the process. Now, you know, when I worked for the devil, he let me do his stuff. <laughs> Didn't he let you do his stuff? He let me do his stuff. But when I came to work for Jesus, they didn't want to let me do his stuff. And I, to tell you the truth, I joined up to do the stuff. Did you? You see, it's doing the stuff that's going to change the world. It's not knowing it was done once. It's not knowing that it's important. It's doing it that's going to change the world. Somewhere, someplace, somebody's got to start believing this book and acting on it. And I figure it might as well be us. 
We're qualified. We can read and write, most of us. And we understand that it can be done. Brilliant. I love that clip. And I thought it'd be a great way to introduce um, the topic tonight. Um, because we're going we're gonna to be looking at the question, does God heal today? And when I say heal, um, I'm not so much specifically talking about um, sort of like natural healing, the way our bodies can kind of repair themselves. God's given us these wonderful bodies that do that. And I'm not so much talking about things like emotional healing. Um, I'm talking more specifically about supernatural physical healing. And the question, does that happen? Does God do that today? According to the, um, uh, um, Nicky Gumbel who, of the Alpha Course, he says that 25% of the gospel stories, the stories of Jesus' life, are taken up with accounts of the healing miracles of Jesus. Um, so, and we read about it all, all, all through the, the, the gospels. In, in Matthew chapter 9, 35, we read that Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. But Jesus also sent out his followers to do the same. Just a few verses later, it says, Jesus called his 12 disciples to him and gave them authority to drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. And actually, if you read on through the Gospels and the, and the book of Acts in the Bible, there are loads of examples of Jesus' followers going out and in Jesus' name, in Jesus' authority, and empowered by the Holy Spirit, praying for people and seeing people get healed. Um, so it's in the Bible, but I guess the big question, um, like John Wimber asked, is, so do we get to do that stuff? You know, 2,000 years later, do we get to do that stuff? That He did it to, then, but does Jesus empower his people to do this today? And just as I'm sort of teeing this up and introducing this topic tonight, there'll be some of you in the room I know who are already excited about this um, and you're thinking, oh, you, perhaps you can already sense the Holy Spirit and you're just itching to, to, to pray for somebody. And you've perhaps already started to scan around the room to look for somebody who's got some crutches or like a bit of a limp or just looking a bit pasty so you can get in there and just start praying for them. <laughs> but of course, there will be others of us in the room for whom this is more of a, a debatable question. And the question is like, you know, so, so why then does God heal sometimes and not other times might be surfacing in your mind? Because this whole question of God, does God heal today has a way of arousing debate and, and skepticism in us. And it can be a painful question for any of us who've ever prayed for somebody and not seen healing. Um, so as I was sort of like pulling together the notes for this talk, I was, I was really acutely aware of that tension. And, and if I'm honest with you, I was feeling, you know, pretty nervous and out of my depth, sort of experientially and theologically, as I was sort of wrestling with this and thinking, so how on earth am I going to answer this question, does God heal today? Does God heal today? Until it sort of occurred to me that, that perhaps God wants to answer that question for himself. You know, it's possible that, that I could stand here for half an hour tonight just going through all these notes and talking, you know, explaining all the reasons why I think God does heal and why he doesn't heal. And God could be here amongst us right now sort of thinking, I really hope this guy gives me a few minutes at the end to actually heal some people because that's what I want to do. Because God might want to answer that question for himself. And so I thought, actually, before we get too far into this, let's create some space to do that. Fantastic. 
Well, look, um, if you're continuing to pray now, why don't you just, um, I feel like we can carry on praying later. So we'll, we'll, we'll carry on with this um, and then we'll, we'll have some more time to pray later. So is that, is that cool? Great. So one of the reasons why this question, does God heal today, is, can be a bit difficult and controversial is because is of what we, exactly what we just experienced right now. And that is that you know, when, we, when we pray for people um, and, and pray that God would heal them, Sometimes it seems to happen. Sometimes people experience a measure of healing. Sometimes people don't experience healing. Um, and not everybody gets healed when we pray. Um, John Wimber, the guy in the video, um, like a couple of years after he'd asked that question, do we get to do the stuff, he decided that he was going to start praying for people to see God uh, heal people. And what he found was that as soon as he started praying for people, nothing happened. Like he prayed, he prayed for hundreds of people and he didn't see anybody get healed. And it got to the point where actually his church were getting frustrated with him and because he, you know, he didn't seem to be listening to reason. It felt like he was barking up the wrong tree. And it can become especially hard for us to, to, be, to believe that God can heal people when we don't have any experience of that or when we pray for people and we don't see God heal them. It can arouse in us feelings of, of skepticism and weariness. Um, for me personally, um, in my story, when I was about 10 years old, um, my mum got cancer and we were church folk. And so I remember praying and praying that God would do something about it. I remember praying that the, I prayed that the treatment would work. I prayed that God would take the cancer away from her. And I even remember going, going to bed and praying that I would just wake up the next morning and it would have all have been a bad dream. Um, But none of those things happened, and she didn't get better. She got worse, and eventually she died. But before that happened, I remember one night a a neighbor um, uh, who was a friend of ours came to, she picked her up one evening, and she took her out because there was a, a Christian faith healer in town. And they went to see this faith healer. And I remember by that point, you know, to me, all of this just felt like a load of superstitious nonsense. And, and I just felt this overwhelming sense of anger that somebody would raise her hopes up in that way. And so for me, five or six years after that, when I first encountered the vineyard, I was probably pretty cynical and skeptical and carried quite a sense of pain about this idea that God might heal some people. And some of you might be here and you might be able to to empathize with that. Um, But as I have been part of this church over the last decade or more, 10, 15 years or something, I've had to reconcile that experience of my life with the many examples of situations here where God has seemed to, to to be moving and to heal people. And I've had to kind of reconcile these two things. And, um, and that might be something that you've had to do here too. Um, there's, because there's so many examples, like things that just happened, but also loads of great stories. Um, during the last Alpha course, for example, um, they spent one night looking at this whole topic of healing. And afterwards, they had an opportunity for people to get prayed for. And um, I love uh, one lady called Jo. She, afterwards, she wrote in her, her experience. She said, I've been a Christian for many years, but I always thought that healing was a bit far-fetched. It might have happened at the Bible, in Bible times, but not now. That's what I was told in the church I grew up in, and I never thought to question it. 
Anyway, during this um, alpha session, somebody had um, a word of knowledge about um, a pain in the elbow. And that struck her because she had a long-standing problem with her elbow. She'd just been to the GP um, the day before to get a steroid injection, which she knew was going to take um, seven to ten days to kind of kick in. So she was there in a lot of pain. So she was gobsmacked, she said, quite nervous because I didn't know what would happen next. Normally, I would keep quiet and shy away from this, thinking it's fine for other people, but not for me. But she ended up responding and saying, yeah, you can pray for me. So she received prayer. After the prayer, I poked my elbow with my finger to make sure it still hurt, and I could stick with my healing doesn't really happen opinion, but it didn't hurt. So she did what I would have done. So I poked and prodded, trying to make it hurt, just like I had before the prayer, but nothing. I left totally overwhelmed and unable to stop smiling for days and days after. And I also took great joy in doing the things that had been painful before, like using a tin opener and turning a key in a lock. I love that story. Apparently it was a great night. Um, another lady, um, during the prayer, um, she, did, she, she wasn't healed immediately, but as they prayed for her, she had a long-standing back condition. She felt um, heat in her back, but, but no sense of healing. Until the next week, they asked her, so how's your back? And she realized, oh yeah, I've been pain-free for these last few days. And, and, and they checked in with her as an update. Her back is still good to this day. And when we see and hear about these kind of stories, and personally, to some extent, being involved in some of these stories, it's changed my perception. Because when, when we see God move in power, it changes the way we see what God can do. It changes the way we see the world. So like a really good example of that is um, Luke who um, he helps um, to lead our healing on the street ministry. He goes out regularly with the team um, into the market square offering to pray for people. And he's been doing that for years now. And so I, I asked him, you know, you know mate, why, where do you get the passion to do that? And he said, well, for me, it all goes back to when I was a student. And um, he was in the hall bar, uh, um, and um, one of his friends had a really bad ankle. And so he offered, this. he hadn't experienced this before, but he offered to pray for this guy's ankle, put his hand on it, prayed for it. And he said, um, my friend looked at me with a face that said, what have you done to me? Astonished as the pain left his body. And for Luke, that question, does God heal today, got answered for good. And that's why today he, he goes out into town and whether a person gets healed on a given day or not, he knows that God can heal because he's seen it with his own eyes. And I think that's one of the reasons that God does this because it instills faith in us. And I'd love to just move on, spend a few moments looking at this question. So why does God do this? Why does God heal? Like I said, I think it's, it's partly because it instills faith in us. Um, I think it's partly because it's just it's just God's nature. Like it says on the screen there, he says, I am the Lord who heals you. It's what he is. And I think it's also because of his, his compassion. You know, many, many times when we read in the accounts of Jesus healing people, he's often moved by compassion as he, offers, uh, as he prays for people. And it says in the verse that I read before, Matthew 9, verse 35, it says, um, he went uh, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. And so um, it was this sort of heart of compassion, wanting to, to help and support people and set them free. 
But I also believe that he, he healed people because, as I mentioned just a moment ago, in these moments, people's lives change and, it, and, it, and, and faith is built in us as we watch God do supernatural things. That's what happens with Luke. It spurred him to go out and, and seek to extend God's kingdom by, by praying for more people. Um, and when Jesus' friend um, John was writing his gospel, the story of Jesus' life, he, he sort of talked about a similar thing. He said, I've written down all these things happened so that you may believe. And so that's one of the things that Jesus wanted to happen. He wanted us to respond to these supernatural things by being stirred to go out and, and share the good news of the gospel. In that Matthew verse um, that I read, I don't know whether you noticed this, but but Jesus, um, as he was going through the towns and villages, he was kind of doing two things at once. It says he was, he was proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and he was healing every disease and sickness. And so what you see is that these two things working together. There is the proclamation of the good news of Jesus' kingdom going hand in hand with the demonstration of God's coming kingdom. And so the two things sort of served, um, what the, the, the demonstrations served to give authenticity to the message. And I think that's something that I've kind of, that way of looking at it is something that I've kind of really picked up through being part of this church. Because like I said, when I first came here, um, I was pretty skeptical about the whole healing thing um, and the supernatural thing. And to, and to be honest, when I first started coming to, to Trent and being part of the vineyard, the thing that I really fell in love with in this church was... It was more like uh, the servant-heartedness of the church and its, its, its attitude of compassion and the way it sort of does the stuff that it says, that the Bible says to do and the way they were just authentic. And to me, um, the sort of supernatural side of things, I didn't really see it as kind of like my thing. And I don't know, some of you might be able to identify with that. It didn't really appeal to me. And part of that was because my logic was, or my sort of like way of, my rationale was that in my mind, the message of the gospel, um, the message that Jesus died for us to, to take away our sins and open up the opportunity for us to have eternal life, to be raised to new life with him and in him, that seemed to be the main thing. And that, to me, seemed to be far more important than whether a person gets healed here on earth. Because, you know, if we respond to the message of the gospel, our whole eternity changes and we benefit from it for, it for eternity. Whereas if somebody gets healed here on earth, I mean, even if somebody was to get healed of cancer, even if somebody was to be raised from the dead, that's brilliant, but like, they're still going to die of old age, aren't they, eventually? It's only a temporary healing, whereas the message of the gospel is about eternal healing. And so to me, I used to see the supernatural stuff as kind of like a bit of a sideshow to the message of the gospel. But the thing that I've slowly come to realise through being part of the vineyard and being part of this place, is that actually all of that supernatural stuff is part of the gospel. It's part of the gospel. It's the reality of God's future promises, the future promise of God's coming kingdom breaking into our present. And it has a vital part to play in signposting people towards Jesus, signposting people towards God's kingdom and the spreading of the message. And I think that's why... Um, you know, so many of the great moves of God in church history, the times when the church has been awakened and the, church, the times when there's been revival of the church, it's often been triggered by these movements where God has moved in a supernatural way. Because when people encounter that, 
um, they start to take Jesus seriously. They start to listen to anyone who's talking about Jesus in the vicinity of that demonstration of the good message. And so that's why Jesus invites anyone who wants to follow him to get involved. And like John Wimber said, do the stuff. Because it stirs faith, it changes people. It reminds me a little bit of, I mean, this is just like a little bit of an analogy. That's, it's not perfect. Um, but it reminds me of, um, you know, is, are there any Star Wars film uh, fans here? Who here likes Star Wars? Okay, so one or two would admit it. But like, what, any film that you really like... Um, I like Star Wars, and if you know, um, when Star Wars came out, that was great, there was all the Star Wars films, but then there was like a, a big gap where we had to wait for the next Star Wars films, like 15 years or something before the next lot came out, and then after those ones, there was a big gap again, and so many of us Star Wars fans have had to spend long periods of our life waiting for the next Star Wars film to come, okay, so there's, you know, and, and during that time, there might be, there might be rumors that there's another Star Wars film coming, um, you know, rumours about who the stars are going to be, what the, sto- the storyline's going to be, but they're just rumours. We don't really know for sure whether there's going to be a film or when it's coming. And then one day, perhaps we're sat in the cinema watching a different film, and a trailer comes on for the next Star Wars film. And we see a glimpse of the coming feature. We see scenes from the film. We, we, we have an experience of it. And our faith level changes. It's no longer a rumor. We have a confidence and an assurance that this film is coming towards us. And so we're, we're, we're like, I'm going to pursue that. With, I'm going to make sure that I've got that in my diary. I'm going to look towards that date. And in the same way, um, even somebody who doesn't like Star Wars, if they're in, if they're in the cinema when they see that trailer there's a possibility that they're going to see that and they're going to be like, wow, that experience, I've seen enough to make me want to see the whole thing. And so in the same way that a trailer is like a a foretaste of the feature, these supernatural moments that we experience now, they're a foretaste of God's coming kingdom in the future. But of course, they're not the actual film. They're not the actual film. And um, that means, um, that sort of leads into talking about this question of, so why is it that sometimes God doesn't heal? Why is it that, and this is something that as a church family, we've, we've lived through together, we've walked through together. Why is it that sometimes we pray and pray and pray for people and they don't get better or they, they get worse? Something that we've experienced. Why is it that when I was a sort of 13-year-old kid crying out to God, why didn't my mum get healed? Why is it that one person of perhaps a seemingly a trivial, with a trivial condition can sometimes get healed when somebody who appears to have a much more pressing need doesn't get healed. Why is that? You know, is it because, you know, God um, perhaps, you know, loves some people more than others? Um, is it because, you know, that he, he, some people he, he sees as more deserving than others? Well, the truth is it's a, it's a really complex question. And it doesn't have a simple answer. Um, but one thing that can help to frame that question at least, one thing that can help us to kind of approach it is when we think about um, the nature of the kingdom of God and what the Bible tells us about the kingdom of God. If you're not familiar with that language, kingdom of God, um, the kingdom of God is a bit like um, one way of looking at it. It's, it's, It's God's sphere of influence. And the Bible explains that one day 
Um, as Jesus came 2,000 years ago, one day Jesus will return. And when he returns, um, he, his kingdom will come in all its fullness. There'll be a new heaven. There'll be a new earth. There'll be no more pain, no more suffering, no more death, no more cancer, no more sickness, no more heart disease, no more mental health. There'll be total healing for all of God's people. But that experience, which we look forward to, the feature film, is not yet we haven't seen that happen yet. In the, in the New Testament, Paul, um, he, he writes about it like this. He said, We groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for the redemption of our bodies. Because he realized that, that this, this full and complete healing is only going to happen in the future when Jesus comes again. And so what that means is that when we do see healings, when we saw like just now, people dotted around the room experiencing a measure of healing, it's a foretaste. We experience the now of God's kingdom because when Jesus came the first time, he said, the kingdom of God is, is amongst you, it's near. And we experience what it's going to be like in the future. We get an assurance that the future is coming. But right now we don't experience total healing and we know that that's our reality, isn't it? And that's not because he cares more about one person than another. It's not because one person is more deserving than another. It's because his kingdom hasn't yet come in all of its fullness. Now, I realize that's, that's a, it's a bit of a sweeping answer. It's not a comprehensive answer. And it leaves us with a bit of a paradox. So how, how can that be? How can the kingdom be now and also not yet? And whilst this explanation doesn't sort of relieve the sense of pain and frustration that we might feel when people aren't healed, it does align with what the Bible says about the kingdom of God, and it also aligns with our experience. And so people, many people find it helpful to talk about this in this way of now and not yet. So we will end up praying, and lots of people won't get healed when we pray. But as John Wimber used to say, when we prayed, back when we prayed for no, when, back when we prayed for no one, no one was healed. But now that we pray for everyone, some do get healed. I think that's true. So we're going to spend um, a few moments praying for anyone that wants to get prayed in a moment. Um, but before we do that, just a few thoughts on how do we do this? How do we participate in God's healing? How do we how do, we do this stuff, like John Wimber said? And I think um, the Alpha course gives just a few really helpful tips here, which I'll just talk through briefly. Um, firstly, we pray in Christ. Um, we remember as we pray for somebody that it's, it's Christ's authority and it's Christ's power that we're praying in. That's why when we, when we pray for somebody, we say, oh, in Jesus' name or in Jesus' authority, we pray that this back would be healed. Because we in ourselves don't have any power. Um, it's Christ's power that works through us as we pray. And so we don't need to kind of like, because of that, we don't need to try and sort of like muster up healing power from within. We don't need to kind of make a big song and dance about it, make a fuss. Um, and also, um, we don't need to kind of overstate the importance and the benefit of technique. So when, when we're praying for somebody, there will be, there'll be models of prayer. There'll be, you know, a level of techniques that you might pick up from different places. But it's important to remember that we place our faith in Jesus, not technique. Okay, so... There's no need to kind of get over-stressed about that. And what we, what we see if we're trying to pray in Christ is um, when Jesus prayed for people, he prayed simple prayers. He didn't use loads of flowery language. He just sort of said, oh, see or walk, things like that. So um, we don't need to go on and on and on. We can pray short, brief prayers. And 
we should remind ourselves that Jesus, if we're going to pray in Christ, Jesus prayed with an attitude of love. He prayed out of a heart of compassion. And so we need to take ourselves to that place to say, Lord, would you give me your compassion for this person that I'm praying for? If we're praying for somebody and, I, and, and our mind starts to wander off and we start to think, oh, it would be so good if they get healed because I'll just I'll look so great and everyone will be so impressed, then obviously our heart has, has drifted and our motives have drifted to the wrong place. And so compassion was Jesus' motive and that should always be ours. I love the way Mark marks who um, he uh, pioneered this ministry called Healing on the Streets, um, which lots of churches around the world do. Um, when they go out onto the streets, he talks, he likens it to, he says, it's like we're going out to wash the feet of the community around us as servants in love and compassion. I think that's a wonderful way of putting it. That's the, that's the attitude to have. So we pray in Christ. Secondly, we, we don't put burdens on people. When we pray for somebody and they don't seem to get healed, we never say, oh, it's your fault. You didn't have enough faith. I know none of you would say that, but we don't say anything like that. And, um, you know, if, 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 if somebody doesn't get healed, it's not because God doesn't love them. It's not because God's punishing them. And so we don't, we don't you know, sort of say those kind of things. Um, now, it may be that as we're praying for somebody, what sometimes does happen is that as we're praying, um, the Holy Spirit might give us um, a sense as we're praying of perhaps what is, what is kind of like a root cause of what's going on. Um, they might, the Holy Spirit might give us a, a sort of a sense of insight there. So say, for example, if somebody's getting prayer for anxiety, as you're praying for them, you just might get a sense from God that, for example, maybe something happened to them when they were a child that's triggered this anxiety. And um, if that happens, that's, that's cool, that's helpful. Um, but the way that you share that, it's important to do that in a, in a humble, careful, caring way. So what you don't do in that situation is go, oh yeah, God's just told me that all of this is because of something that happened when you were a kid, so let's pray about that. Because that's harsh, that's too a rough way of saying it. What you might say is, oh, I'm, I might be wrong about this, but just as I'm praying for you, I feel like God might be saying that perhaps somewhere underneath this there was an experience that you had maybe when you were a child that might have sort of triggered some of this stuff does that does that ring any bells to you and uh, and if they say no um then that's fine either you got it wrong or perhaps they don't want to talk about it either way that's fine um but if they say yeah then it's an opportunity to just gently pray into that but we don't put burdens on people and then thirdly when we pray for healing we we take a risk we take a risk. We have this saying in the vineyard, faith is spelled R-I-S-K. Um, and that's because there is an element of risk in all of this, isn't it? If you pray for somebody and they don't get healed, there's a risk that they'll be disappointed or that they'll be offended. Um, if you offer to pray for somebody and they're, they're like, well, you know, you're being weird. Um, but it is a bit of a risk. But I think as British people, we can overstate the risk of being embarrassed. Like it's, it's, it becomes a bigger thing in our mind than it actually is in practice, if you know what I mean. Like I'm, I'm allergic to embarrassment. Um, but when I've done this, um, even when it goes wrong, I've found it's not that bad. Like the worst thing that's ever happened to me was I offered to pray for a guy with a headache and he just he swore at me and said, oh, don't give me any of that religious nonsense. But that was it. Or like another time, um, I, there was a guy, I was sat next to a guy um, in a pub and he, he had this terrible cough. He was hacking away. Like, he obviously had something really badly the matter with him um, in his chest or something. And eventually, I sort of, I was really nervous because he looked like a bit of a scary guy. Eventually, 
I sort of plucked up the courage to start a conversation with him. And I was nervous, thinking, if I pray for him and he doesn't get healed, this could be awkward. Um, but actually, it didn't even get that far. I said, oh, hello there. I noticed that you've got a bit of a cough. And he just looked at me really, and he went, no, I haven't. <laughs> and, I, and I was like, oh, um, I've been here for the last hour. Just, I just noticed um, you do seem to have a bit of a cough. And he's like, no, I don't. don't know what you're talking about. So I just sort of sat back down again and carried on. And then he just carried on, like, <clears throat> coughing away. <laughs> and the whole thing was a bit awkward. But when we get it wrong, um, the preacher, Mike Pelavacci, says, nobody dies, nobody dies. So we step out and we take a risk because actually, you know, at the end of the day, it's not that big a deal if it goes wrong. And even if somebody doesn't get healed, healed, I asked Luke, um, who goes out, like I say, doing healing on the streets. And he said, you know, I can remember lots of times where we've prayed for people and they haven't got healed. Um, but I can't remember any occasions where somebody's got prayed for and they've had a negative experience. They always feel blessed and encouraged by our prayers and they still encounter the Holy Spirit, but, but in a different way, as we welcome God's love and peace into them. Um, he described a time, perhaps the most profound, profound example of that for him was this lady came up with, with crutches, um, and she had a number of physical conditions, and she was coming towards them for healing prayer. And they prayed for her, and she didn't get healed physically. But as they prayed, she just became overwhelmed um, with God's presence, and she had an encounter with the Holy Spirit, and, and it turns out God wanted to do some emotional healing in her, and as she prayed, she just, she, as they prayed, she just, um, she became tearful, and God was, was, was sort of moving, and it was just a beautiful thing, and apparently people, other people as well, who were just walking past, began to pause, and were drawn in and attracted to God's presence and what was going on and started to ask questions, what's going on? And it led to more conversations and more people being prayed for. So when we pray and we take a risk and we step out, even if a person doesn't get healed, it's an opportunity to bless them with prayer. And God can use that prayer to transform lives. And just before we spend a bit of time doing this again, I just want to give, um, show a video that, that captures one really acute example of this, which is absolutely amazing. It's, um, it's a story from Nikki Gumbel, um, who, um, who leads Alpha. Um, um, and um, again, it's a little bit 80s slash 90s, this video, but it's a great story. So when John Wimber first spoke here on a Sunday night, in 1982, the following night, we all met in church house over there. And again, he spoke on healing, and again, there were words of knowledge. And I was working as a barrister at the time. I was in my pinstripe suit, stiff white collar, and I was sitting in the front row so I could observe everything in great detail. And he said, uh, there is, um, there are, this is my recollection of it. He said, there are 10 people here with athlete's foot. Now, I had athlete's foot, but I was not going to admit to that in, in front of all those people, or at all. Uh, and then he said, would, the, would those people like to stand, because we'd like to pray for them? Well, one by one, they stood until there were nine people standing. <laughs> I still was not going to stand. But my wife, Pippa, was sitting next to me, and she was going, that is you. And I was saying, no, 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 no. <laughs> Somebody else. <laughs> but eventually the bruising in my ribs was getting such that I felt it would be easier, otherwise I need to be prayed for for that as well, <laughs> to stand and to sit down. So I stood and um, 
uh, one of these very nice Americans came over to me and said, um, would you like us to pray for your, your athlete's foot? I said, no, 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 thank you very much. <laughs> I said, um, actually, I quite like having athlete's foot. <laughs> it's so satisfying when you kind of rub it like that. <laughs> so he was very gracious, and he said to me, um, well, what would you like to pray for? So I said, I'd like to pray for Pa in my ministry. So he said, okay, we'll, we'll pray for you. And they just prayed for the Spirit to come upon me. And after a few minutes, all I can say is I experienced something like 10,000 volts going through my body. Extraordinary power of God coming. And he, he had a fairly limited prayer, this, this, this man. Um, he just said, um, more power every time. It was the only thing he ever prayed. I can't remember him ever praying anything else. And it, there reached a point where I could take it no longer, and I started saying, no more, pa. <laughs> but that didn't seem to put him off at all. He was, he was saying more, pa, and I was saying no more, pa. And eventually there was a kind of, almost a shouting match going on between us. So John Wimber, who had been obviously used to rowdy people at some of his meetings, said, uh, oh, could you take that one out through the... So they carried me out, because I couldn't move. Uh, they carried me out through those French windows, and they carried me around. And out, as I was going out through the windows, I remember John Wimber saying, God is giving that person the gift of being able to tell other people about Jesus. I've often looked back to that moment because it was a very significant moment in my life. As it happened, I wasn't healed of athlete's foot at that moment, although it has cleared up since then. But I'm so glad that I was prayed for because it was an amazing experience. And since then, Pippa and I have tried to tell people about Jesus and to bring healing wherever we can. I try to pray for people like I was prayed for because I believe that God uses us today to heal people. He wants to use you to heal people. I encourage you to be someone who brings healing in your family, among your friends, in your workplace, in your community prays for the sick, binds up the brokenhearted, wipes away people's tears, lifts up the fallen, breaks down division, and brings healing wherever you go. In Jesus' name. I love Nikki Gumbel. Brilliant story. And, you know, of course, if you, if you don't know anything about Nikki... Nikki, the Alpha course that he uh, oversees, literally tens of millions of people have found out about Jesus and explored the Christian faith. So I think it's fair to say he was anointed to tell people about Jesus. And it's incredible when you think that moment was triggered by somebody having a prophetic word about athlete's foot and somebody stepping out and taking a risk. So let's step into God's presence now in response to that. If you're able to, would you like to stand?